We are going on tour. The Glamorous Trash Podcast and my book tour have collabed and we're coming to a city near you. Click the link in the show notes to to get all of the deets. We're coming to New York City. On June 4th, we are kicking off an event with Jon Stewart. No big deal. That's our very first show in New York City. Then we're coming to Washington, D.C., Nashville, Chicago, Santa Fe, Albuquerque, Seattle, Portland, and Los Angeles. So get your tickets now. We are doing three different events because, you know, I'm always doing the most. That's just on brand, right? First, there's a glamorous trash party. It's the podcast meets the book tour meets Coachella, a live show featuring podcast segments, book segments, a very special guest. And of course, there's a runway walk at the end for people to show off their fits because the dress code to every event is obviously glamorous trash. We are also doing a cookie country club. It's the anti-country club country club. And it's very dreamy. You get like a bunch of products. There's little events. And it's a more intimate event where you meet other cookies and listen to a book chat with what me and another special guest. And then the final event, the Behind the Bangs Writing Workshop. I finally did it, put it together, put together this workshop because I wrote this book in many ways for younger me. And younger me would not have gotten off her couch unless there was also a workshop being taught. I wanted the gyms. I wanted I wanted the knowledge. I wanted the education. That's what I would have wanted. So I've decided I'm doing it. And in the workshop is going to be the six writing gyms that took me forever to learn. 15 years. In my 15-year career as a TV writer and author and blah, 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 all the other things I've written, there are six things that I always use, and all of those are in this workshop. So if you have an interest in writing, sign up. All the ticket links are live today. Click the show notes. Click my Instagram. We are coming to a city near you, and there's going to be some meet and greets. I'll sign some copies of books. We'll give out more books, and I have uh, some pieces of merch that I'm taking on the road, and I'm going to give them out at the shows. Welcome to Celebrity Book Club. This is a podcast that recaps and celebrates female celebrity memoirs. I'm your host, Chelsea Devantes. I'm a TV writer, comedian, and filmmaker, and sometimes I'm in stuff too. Now today we are book clubbing Duchess Sarah Ferguson's memoir titled Finding Sarah, A Duchess's Journey to Find Herself published in 2010. Now, you know Sarah from being a royal. She is the ex-wife to Prince Andrew, who we will get into. She was also known in the news as Fergie, and she was a Weight Watchers spokesperson for 12 years, which is honestly how I knew her. Here is your warning. We're discussing heavy topics, so take care when listening. Now, after Prince Harry's book, I did not think I'd find myself diving into the royals again, but we have some expert guests today, and I'm so glad we do because this book made me want to run through a plate of glass. So let's dive in. Because he had come from a friend of mine. He who? The the interviewer. Mm -hmm. And he had come um, very highly recommended Mm -hmm. from four different people. So you were in tears because what? Well, that moment when we saw you. I was just getting. So when, so he had come and somebody, I needed, a friend of mine needed $38,000 as urgently. So he had said, I will give you that $38,000 for my friend. And that's why I needed the money urgently for my friend. Mm -hmm. And so I was crying and I thanked him so much for helping my friend. Mm -hmm. And he knew the friend, Mm -hmm. knew of the friend. And and it, so, and I was just- That's the moment when you'd agreed to, we've heard $40,000. So was it 40 or 38? Well, it was 40, but it was 38. Okay. Okay, our guests today are the brilliant minds and hosts behind How To Be Fine. 
a podcast where dynamic duo Kristen Meinzer and Jolinta Greenberg dish on the latest wellness trend, what they gleaned from it, what they ditched. They deep dive into listener questions and offer some advice on how to be fine. They have been featured in Time Magazine, The Washington Post, NPR, so much more. Please welcome Kristen Meinzer and Jolinta Greenberg. Hi, you guys. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having us. I am so excited to have you guys here. Um, So, you know, I introduced all my guests with the story of how we first met. And I believe we first met on your podcast. That is right. We were so lucky to have you on the former iteration of our show, back when it was called By the Book. And we had you on to talk about celebrity memoirs and your theory that all celebrity memoirs are essentially self-help books in disguise. And you just were so smart and so delightful. You had so many great insights. Uh, You had, you know, concrete facts from different books. And I have to say, after we talked with you, I went on to read 36 celebrity memoirs in the following 36 weeks. Oh, my God. And I already was a big fan of your show, and I already listened here and there to various celebrity memoirs along with you and your show. But after that conversation, I just went hog wild. I am so, I had so much fun on your guys' show and I learned so much from you. So wait, Kristen, what was like um, a rose and a thorn from that 36 book journey? Oh my gosh. Well, I have to say a rose was Holly Madison's down the rabbit hole. It's so good, right? It's so, so, so good. She says so much in that book. Um, Stuff that we might suspect, stuff that goes beyond what any of us would imagine. And then I would say, I hate to say it because I think you really liked this book, Huma Abedin's book. I felt like oh. there there was a lot of information, but not a lot of emotion or reflection. And mm, so yeah. even though I thought the book was really interesting and, you know, being behind those closed doors in the room where it happens, it also just, I, I just wanted a little bit more of what was going on internally in her heart during that book. Yes, which I have to say, I don't think she knows yet, you know, because Mm -hmm. she's still in the midst of it. But I think that is so fair. And obviously this is going to be a biased, gross thing to say, but I loved the conversation about that book way more than I loved on my own podcast, uh, way more than I liked (laughs) the actual book. But yeah, she did have some juice. And then other times she was like, she was in the Anthony Weiner documentary where she was just like eating pizza in the background. (laughs) of that documentary. And sometimes I feel like she was eating pizza in the background of her book. (laughs) Yes, that is such a good way to put it. So we were kind of set up by your producer, Nora, who I know from when this podcast was previously at another network who I love. And she was like, they're a bit of a Royals expert. So is it just one of you that's a Royals expert or is it both? Kristen is the Royals expert. I'm oh, Jolenta, I'm... the non-royals expert. <laughs> Jolenta, the non-royals expert. That's a good bio for you. Right, right. <laughs> you need so, to have her on for Real Housewives, though, because Jolenta knows say, everything about the I Real Housewives. I do know everything Bravo-related if you ever need to go through. Um, yes, I do. Like, so here's yeah. the thing. You've, you've come on with Kristen as a, a royals expert, so I believe Kristen has to come back on when you come on as a housewife. Oh, for sure, <laughs> yeah. Yes, we have to make her read, like, Teresa Judice's yeah. book about going to jail or something. <laughs> I would love that. I've only ever done Erica Jane's, and, mm. you know, those books are just not real books. It's kind and of so bland, I'm ready yeah. to dive into a magazine anytime you want to come back. Oh, my gosh, um, yes. Okay, so... Let's dive into this book. So just a little preface to listeners. I want to say I am not a Royals expert. I I don't come into this knowing much beyond what's in Us Weekly, 
reading Prince Harry's book, which I'm sure is not a great education on the royals. <laughs> so I am just going off of the book. So when I reflect my opinions, I'm really taking what Sarah brought to us. And Kristen, you you were talking about how I said celebrity all celebrity memoirs are self-help books. Well, this one is a self-help book and it is the least helpful book I've ever read. This was I came in expecting to love this woman. Like if you were a Weight Watchers spokesperson right. in the early 20, 2000s, like I'm already on your side. Like I'm, I'm like, yes, I'm going to love this bitch. Like she was made fun of for her weight. I know. Um, I know she's like a fire redhead. I know she's got a lot of scandals. I was like, she loves a bottle of wine. She loves to get sloppy. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to love this woman. And I came away from this book detesting her. What was your experience of this book? I will say as the non-expert, I was like, did she write this? This feels like part self-help book, part like advertisement for how great Andrew is. Yeah. Like <laughs> part sort of backpedaling through a scandal. It just was all over the place. And again, not at all what I was expecting. I was expecting sort of a longer version of like the Oprah interviews we saw growing up. To be honest and raw, uh, like life is hard and the living in with the royal. But instead, she was like, marriage was great. Don't even know why it ended. I've, I felt very confused. Very confused. It's like she, it's like one night she was crying about her life to her dog. And then the dog went and barked that story to a ghostwriter. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes exactly. And wrote the book. Yes, yes. It made me like, and it was such an advertisement for Andrew. I had to look up like what was going on with him scandal wise, like an Epstein wise. And it was like right when he was breaking up with Epstein that this book came out. So I was like, oh, okay. So like someone threw that in there to like cover some bases or something. It was messy and very ghostwritery, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's a known pedophile at this point. Yeah. So it's mm -hmm. real tough to read those chapters on him. Yeah. Okay, Kristen, what did you think as the expert? Well, um, I went in also wanting to love this book. I always saw her as irreverent, a little bit cheeky, naughty, yeah. willing to have fun. I mean, I don't know if you remember these photos famously of her and Diana out poking people in front of them in the bottom with umbrellas. Those two oh. got up to no good together. They had so much fun. And the queen loved her because she was a sporty horse girl, but she also was a breath of fresh air. She was confident. She, you know, she was so different than Diana in so many ways. Um, yeah. And I love Diana. I, I, I'm not saying any of this to put down Diana, but she didn't show all of her insecurities the way Diana did. And right. um, and that made her kind of fun to watch because she would just act wacky instead. And so yeah. I was kind of looking forward to her being unfiltered. And as Jolenta was saying, I was looking forward to her being raw. And instead, we get a lot of people's emails telling her how great she is. There yeah. are so many oh. emails from randos who she never tells us who these randos are. Just like, So confusing. Dear Sarah, I love you so much. You will get through <laughs> this. And and then it's signed like Mildred or somebody. And we're like, who's Mildred? Are we who ever the hell is Mildred? Mildred? Who is this? Sarah yeah, or Simon. S. Simon, who, oh my God. by the way, I initially thought was Simon, Simon Cowell. Simon Cowell, because she mentioned him in the previous story. So did I. But then okay, so none of the other letter writers she referenced. So I was like, oh, I guess that was a coincidence. <laughs> yeah. I, I So I thought Simon's emails to her, by the way, the best emails that were sent. So she was like, Simon Cowell <laughs> pulled me aside and was like, you'll get through this. It makes you more interesting. Then she starts getting emails from Simon. I'm like, oh, this is Simon Cowell. As I'm reading the emails, I wrote the note, wow, the reframe of Simon Cowell. <laughs> like this book is changing 
my feelings on him. He's writing these like beautiful articulate emails about, you know, reputation and taking time for yourself. Yeah, feelings. Then by like the ninth email, he's like, after all, I'm 70 years old. I was like, who is this? I thought this was Simon Cowell the whole time. Like how did an editor set up Simon Cowell and two pages later, let that be printed without <laughs> clarification. Without being like, different Simon. So confusing. So confusing. So confusing. Yeah. And, yeah. and then on top of that, she, you know, which all of those emails just felt like filler to me. And then yes. right. it also felt like she didn't really want to be what we love about her. She didn't want to be the mess. She just wanted yeah. to be essentially a recap of what supposedly happened in this special that I still don't remember I mean, I remember seeing parts of it back in the day, but that was more than a decade ago, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's all baby's breath, no florals. Yes. <laughs> like, it's all yes. fill. Like, yes. it's all styrofoam popcorn, no package Including inside the box. the photos. Not even any Including, juicy right? photos. God. Yeah, and not even, like, glamorous photos. It was just, like, a photo, except for, like— Of a tree. Then we get, like, a, a tree or then, like— a random headshot of a single man late. Okay, okay. so let's <laughs> let's dive into the very beginning. I will say, before the book even begins, so it's the very first physical page, I got very worried. It says, wisdom from the Duchess. Make time for quiet reflection and listen to your heart. I said, oh no, we're not even gonna get the good quotes. We're gonna get the <laughs> shitty quotes. Stand up for what you believe. Face your fears. You're like, oh my God. The, the last one is, free your mind and your bottom will follow. What? I mean, would love for my ass to be free. Is yeah. that what that means? I have no idea. It's because she life. has internalized fat phobia and she yeah. hates how fat she is, to quote her, or to paraphrase, I should say. Yeah. I'm going to say she has externalized fat phobia. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, so hateful. Then yeah. she dedicates the book. Oh, it's 2011. I said it was 2010. It looks like it's 2011. Uh, copyright. So then her. this is her dedication. It is handwritten, which I love. I actually was like, ooh, I want to steal this. She said, this book is dedicated to Oprah, the whole book, who pulled me out of the darkness. Then Oprah goes above the prince, which I love. And my dearest Andrew, who holds on to the real Sarah, and of course, all my heart and soul to my magical two beautiful daughters, Beatrice and Eugenie, who remain true and steadfast to their mommy. That's a haunting message. She loves them because they remain true to her, despite yeah. what she's done to the monarchy, I guess. <laughs> yep. I feel really bad for her daughters, who also um, were a lot of fill in this book, their letters to her. Right. Yes. And their and boyfriends. Like, you, one of whom's not doing the picture anymore. Yeah. Okay, so again, I don't follow the royals. Right. So when she's like, oh, poor Beatrice and poor Eugenie and who they, oh, finally they found a boyfriend. I looked it up, not their husbands. How embarrassing. <laughs> like, don't put the details of that relationship in a book forever. Like, you you put that in your blog post. You put that in an interview. Like Dave Clark okay. is such a darling. By the way, Dave Clark, less than like a year after he dumped Beatrice, he was engaged to somebody else. So yeah, that's how what? great Dave Clark is. Um, but that's what I'm saying. It's like, it shouldn't be in a book forever of like how great he is. Um, okay, so this is where I'm really gonna need your insight, Kristen. So she starts the book saying, as I write this, I am immersed in some extreme personal turbulence, which I just wanna say, as she writes it, she's immersed in a scandal. So it's like the scandal happened and they were like, quick. Write a book. To your keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> write a book. To the pages. 
I am trying to buckle up with whatever remains in my emotional and spiritual resources. The facts are these. In May 2010, and the book comes out in 2011. So Mm. in May 2010, my life spiraled into a private hell where I was caught unawares on a hidden camera accepting money from a tabloid reporter posing as an Indian business tycoon who supposedly wanted to back my various business ventures. Okay, that's... That's the vaguest business thing I've ever seen. Then she's like, my books, merchandising, and other enterprises. One of these projects was to build a girls' school in Afghanistan. Literally, what? Okay, then she's like, he wouldn't sign the NDA. I met with him anyway. And then she says, I made a rather spectacle out of myself. And I mentioned in passing that by doing business with me, he might get to meet Prince Andrew because the prince and I are a team. Under no circumstances did I offer to broker an introduction to my former husband as it had been claimed. I love Andrew to this day. I did when I met him and married him and I would never ever sell him out or betray him. Then she goes, yes, I shook his hand, staring straight into his eyes. Look after me and he'll look after you. It's like, okay. And then he hands her a briefcase full of $40,000 in cash, which she said was meant to be a good faith down payment on various business ventures. So I just need to ask you guys your thoughts on this because I, in her own words, it sounds like so incriminating. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So what are your thoughts on this scandal and what happened and like how she's trying to get out of it? Well, this was, you know, yet another example of, what we've heard from many members of the royal family, most vocally Harry and Meghan, about how the tabloid press tries to, you know, do sting operations on the royal family. Yes, which definitely seems absolutely true. Yes. Yeah, like that happened. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. That, yes, that, that was a total sting operation. Um, but Fergie, in her words, says... It was all spliced together into tape that made it sound like I actually was, you know, accepting that money specifically in exchange for access to Andrew. That's not what I was doing. I just kind of mentioned between drinks, you'll you'll probably be able to meet Andrew too. And that's what she says. But the tape comes across as quite incriminating, like she is actually selling access to Andrew. The tape that was on Oprah, which I remember right. vividly. I was yeah. going to say, I remember watching it and being like, it's also like a pretty cruddy tape. Like it doesn't, it would seem like a tape that would be obvious to tell if it were edited when you watch it. And it seems pretty cut and dry. (laughs) Well, yeah. Also, it's like they would have to have spliced different words together because in full sentences, she's definitely doing what they said she was doing. (laughs) Like, like, I, I think also just no matter what she said on tape, the idea that you would be like, I've got s- some vague business and they're like, I'll give you $40,000 in cash in a briefcase. I don't know what business venture that is. Like, that's not normal. Like, right. obviously that's shady, right? It is, but I'm just going to say something here. The current King of England, Charles, within the last year also had a suitcase full of cash scandal where cash in exchange for knighthood was happening. Oh, what? Yes. So these royals, they keep doing this stuff. You yeah, know, you're like, you would dude, think, Charles, you wouldn't do this after Fergie got caught doing this. Come on. Yeah. Don't like, do this. Don't do it via briefcase. Like, do a wire transfer, my dog. Like, what is Please, going Venmo. on? Venmo. We all have Venmo, right? Come we on. We all got Venmo. Make him Venmo you every day for a burrito for a year <laughs> until it equals $40,000. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I, you know, the moment she started, I was like, oh, she's just really not going to be honest. I understand she cannot say she did it because that's, I mean, you know, that's criminal, a crime. Too incriminating. 
incriminating. So, but that being said, she was not honest in any way. And then I guess the rest of the book is sort of like, and so then I'm going to fall into Oprah's arms and I'm going to fix whatever's so wrong with me that brought me to this meeting. Yeah. And then she delivers us the self-help that she supposedly learned, but I don't think she learned any of it. No, no, no. I know what you mean. Some, she went out and collected tidbits from all the like leading, like, you know, thought leaders in quotes and is like sort of vaguely regurgitating them. Yeah. yeah it, it's like, it's like the, a, it's like a woman like in last night's hair and makeup and like she's lost a shoe and she's smoking a cigarette and she's like, you know, um, you really should eat 20 grams of protein before uh, before you start your day. <laughs> and you're like, you know, I don't think I'm going to take this from you. Like, right. I just don't think she was in control of what she was saying. And I, I will say there are three Oscar Wilde quotes before page 11. <laughs> <laughs> and on page 11, she said, Oscar Wilde also said, every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. And I was like, wow, she is, Oscar Wilde is like really doing some heavy lifting here. I, I will say when she wove, and I'm, I'm saying within the same chapter, she wove it like a braid, talking about her business dealings with visiting a teen cancer ward. Oh, in the same, so Ooh. she would talk about teen cancer and then she would, I'm sorry to laugh, it's not funny. It's just like, that's a real swing. She's that is a real swing. putting up a real shield there where it's like, yeah, we can't like criticize these- it because like also a girl's school or, you know, cancer <laughs> ward. Like a hundred, I mean, there is a picture of her in the cancer ward and below it is like, I I had to go through a business sting with a fake Indian sheik. And she's like calling him a fake Indian yeah. sheik throughout the whole book. Um, well, and so then we kind of get into, we get into her childhood, which I have to say, despite everything I've said, I think this is my favorite childhood quote, I think in any celebrity memoir ever. So she's raised very posh. Her mom divorces her dad and leaves when she's 11 or 12. Mm. And she writes this. Right after my mother left, I rode my pony to a candy shop. Completely unprepared for the crushing sense of grief and loss, I began blindly, furiously to binge on sweets, a desperate, unconscious attempt to mute the crazy-making pain. Then dad sold the pony, and I was even more heartbroken. This is my shit. You so rode a relatable. pony. Just like to, 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 to a candy, candy shop. <laughs> but also, I'm like, this is what I want the book to be. Like, you <laughs> rode your pony to a candy shop. But then also we're talking about, like, Binge eating on sweets, like this, right. this is something like I've had um, experience with. And, but then the pony gets sold, and I was like, "This is my shit." Um, but that was kind of it. Was I, yeah, I love how deeply out of touch it is. You yeah. you skip past my favorite part, which is after the Naomi Campbell thing. She has to like move on, and she she says, "Deeply ashamed, but courageously determined to fulfill my commitments." My father always insisted I get back on a horse after a fall. I flew to Los Angeles for a charity dinner to accept the Catherine Variety Sheridan Award for my philanthropy work. Like, she's like, I powered through to fly to L.A. and get an award. <laughs> because after this, right after Naomi Campbell's birthday, I could have crumbled. And I was like, oh, this is what we're in for now. Yeah, I did make it to the party, but then I made it to another. Um, yeah, I was. that was when I got hope again. I was like, yes, this book will be delusionally gorgeous. Yeah. And then it, it left us again. It then does. it goes into apparently the greatest love story of all time with the most perfect man created on earth Oof. with, I mean, 
maybe God had other angels create other humans, but God created this one perfectly. Andrew is given to us as a true walking saint. She said, in Andrew, I found my perfect man and soulmate. He was relaxed and endlessly charming, a prankster like me, yet solid and kind. In me, I suppose Andrew saw a wildflower, bubbly and forthright woman without pretense or motives. Together, we were like well-matched bookends, pleasant to look at and equally supportive of one another. I love that she's like, pleasant to look at. Yeah, we were Um, cute. But throughout the book, she's like, Andrew is perfect. Andrew is a god. Andrew is perfect. Andrew is a saint. Andrew is an angel. So is... I kind of came away from this being like one really rough to read this, knowing he is a pedophile via J- Jeffrey Epstein's plane, but um, and and who knows what else? Do they have some sort of agreement, Kristen? Like, what is this? This must be. What yeah. is this weird? She relationship? literally says Andrew is a great man and a thoroughly good person. He's a model boy. He doesn't drink. Goes to bed early and gets up at eight thirty a.m. And this oh, is which, like, by the way, eight thirty is is that really early if you're also going to bed early? Right. Yeah, that's right. Also, this is like during when he's breaking up with Epstein. Like he has, you know, committed crimes already, already. in 2010. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I was saying, yes. I know one of his accusers is is from 2001. So it's like this is what. And I was like, is this a? I think what my note says is this a commercial for Andrew? Yeah. I don't think it is. I think that she is just so. I mean, the only thing I think she's really honest about and soul-searching and being even a little bit raw about is she just is still in love with Andrew, and she has so Mm. much sadness over the fact that— Oh, so that's, like, real. Oh, that's totally real. Okay, okay. When they broke up, they continued to live together. They still live together in Royal Lodge. And, yes, in in their big mansion together. I couldn't tell if he was like, hey— uh, you know, either to her or to himself, I'm a shady pedophile. You're divorcing me. Why don't you be the front for I'm still a good man and I will always help you out? Like, I was like, is this a handshake or is this like toxic love? You know, like a handshake agreement to like always be the face for each other as they fuck up? Well, it's the the general consensus is that she is still very much in love with Andrew and she has hinted at this or outright said it over and over and over again. She's defended him to the press multiple times, including within the last couple of years. Although now I'm thinking if if they really are just fronts for each other, then she was very smart because she was the one who encouraged him to do that interview where the disastrous interview where he said, I'm incapable of sweating. Where he said he doesn't you know, sweat? That, yeah. Oh. I'm sorry, I've never seen this. Oh, that's why he couldn't have raped her because Virginia Jeffrey, she said that when he raped her that he was sweating on her. And then in the interview, he said, oh, I that couldn't have been me who did that to her because I'm incapable of sweating because of the special condition I have. It was a disastrous interview. Is the special condition Botox and every armpit? Yeah, like, what are no. you talking about? <laughs> it's you lying. Yeah, there's so many things that interview, like, oh, well, I knew it was problematic, my friendship with him, but I can't break up a friendship by phone. I had to do it in person and stay in his mansion when I did it. I had to fly to the pedophile island. Yes, I had to. (laughs) Wow. But but it was Fergie who did push him to do that interview, so now I'm wondering, maybe maybe she is secretly trying to 
I don't know. I mean, she also <laughs> describes in this book, you know, doing an interview after her scandal with Oprah, and it's a fucking disaster. So it's like no one's learning that, like, <laughs> these aren't, these, this isn't like. These aren't good ideas. They're not learning about briefcases. They're not learning about <laughs> interviews in the middle of the scandals. Like, they're not, they're refusing to learn. Now, that said, at within and at the end of every chapter, she writes nuggets. Love In all those. caps of, like sort of what she's learned on her quest to fix herself. So this is page 57. This is when I said, how am I going to finish this book? I don't know how I'll get through. Because it turned into the self-help nugget thing, like like a few chapters deep. You're like, oh, oh no, we yeah. haven't even started the self-help part. Yeah, it was, a, it was a surprise. It was like chapter, 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 JK. It's a self-help book. Right. Um, yeah, so this is the first time it comes in, page 57. Nuggets. Detox yourself. I said, no. <laughs> Enjoy a drink of grated ginger root and hot water. Try watercress soup or try the watercress soup diet, which is a seven-day detox. No. I was like, no. What? I honestly think this book was written in seven days. Oh, for <laughs> sure. Seven days. They were just like, what? open your email. I was going like, to say, give us your inbox. email password Print and tell out. us a few stories. Like, let's go. Let's go. Okay, we're going to take a quick break right now and we'll be right back. Sibling fights are unavoidable, but what if every fight you had was under a microscope on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince William and Prince Harry. They were each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother. But that all began to crack as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wondery's podcast, Disintel, is hosted by comedians Sydney Battle and Matt Belisai. Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds, and they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William versus Harry started. It's actually much bigger than these two brothers, stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle, or was it something that started much earlier? Follow Disintel on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. I started this podcast because I have been obsessed with memoirs my entire life. And I can't believe it, but I got to write my own. And it comes out on June 4th, and you can order it right now. The book, you know, I was asked to describe it, and I said, it is an absolutely harrowing, traumatic memoir, but funny. So if that sounds good to you, order it. Let me give you some topics that are in this memoir. A female best friendship breakup. How I got my break into Hollywood. When I found out my dad was not my real dad. The time I dated a magician. Are those last two related? Who's to say? Read the book. Growing up in Utah. Growing up around cults. How I got into therapy. Listen, I could keep going. Each chapter title is a different woman's name in my life. Some are heroes. Some are motherfucking villains, but you know what? A villain and a hero, what are both of those things? A leading role, and we do love women in our leading roles. So pre-order the book, it matters a lot. I linked everywhere that you can buy it in the show notes, but you know, go anywhere. Also, I am reading the audiobook personally. So I'm personally narrating it. So if you like this podcast, get my longest podcast ever. And the audiobook is also available for pre-sale everywhere you get audiobooks. And thank you so much for listening to this podcast. You are the reason I got to write a memoir. So thank you so, so much. One, two, three, four, five. Okay, let's dive back into the episode. Well, and then she writes, I was asked to do Celebrity MasterChef in Australia. 
So it's like, okay, you're in the middle of a scandal and and you think you should do this? I sent the email to Oprah and asked if she could please advise, <laughs> advise me if I should go to Australia and learn to cook. <laughs> she said, if you do any TV, you do a docuseries for the own network. I haven't asked if you would do this because you are my friend and I don't mix business with pleasure, but will you think about it? Now, thank God for Oprah for, I guess, diverting her from learning to cook, which surely would have done her reputation in. And- trying to give her this chance to get her reputation back in America. That said, this book sort of introduced me, reintroduced me to Oprah's cabal. Right. Where we are about to meet all of Oprah's characters. Line and them it up. really gave me flashbacks because I lived for Oprah Magazine, you guys. Oh, I would too. go to the library mm. to read it uh, oh. as a teenager. I would, I would steal it from any office, I could find it like in the lobby. I'd be like, I'm sorry, this has to come with me. Like I, every month, I never missed a month. Um, and as she was going through this book, I, it like all of Oprah's magazine started like coming up for me mm. where I was like, oh my God, oh my God. Like, I oh, was there's also Martha with Beck. Oprah's cabal. There's Martha Beck. I, I know you, Susie Orman. Yeah. Every, yeah, every character yes, from yes. her magazine's in it. Yeah. And, and it made me like, <laughs> I was like, wait, okay. So Oprah aside, all the people she had dealings with are monsters. <laughs> <laughs> Oprah gave us monsters, you guys. That's my new take. And I'm going to give you examples within this book. Okay, so then she's like kind of going into her like self-help section, but then she gives us really bad advice from herself. So she said, if you're looking for a man, you've got to be a lady. If you're too direct, it changes the game. I said, am I reading like a Steve Harvey book right now on dating? Am I reading the rules? <laughs> I've scared off potential boyfriends in the past with my headstrong personality or because they think I'm too close to Prince Andrew. In a word, my love life has been diabolical. I, so I'm like, so you're just passing on to women to shut the fuck up if they want a boyfriend? I mean, is is this something that she actually got from Oprah's team or is this because she's a rich aristocratic Right, or is like this what she was taught to be a prince, at, to be a princess? At, at, at finishing school. Is that yeah. what she learned in finishing school maybe? I mean, she doesn't tell us where she got it. I, I, yeah, I was really like, and then she, couple pages later, internalized, externalized misogyny, <laughs> diary entry, July 25th, 2010. I longed to be 40 again. I wished I had Demi Moore around to ask how she managed to yes. lure Ashton Kutcher. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And I'm we like, all know from Demi Moore's book what a great catch he was as a husband. Oh, Ugh. yeah. And yeah. <laughs> also it's like from reading her book, he went after Demi. Like, this is, it wasn't, also, it doesn't even matter. It's just like, but that they had a relationship. So she lured him into her old lady, her old crusty <laughs> nest. <laughs> her old crusty body on the cover of GQ magazine looking like flawless. Ew, poor Ashton. Um, and then she said, I'm having massive surges of why I had left my marriage, why I'd let my marriage go. Why had I felt at keeping the amazing love that Andrew and I had together? So that's kind of what you're talking about, Kristen, where she's like regretting divorcing him. Yeah. yeah. And um, she's has she has said that over and over again in other interviews, not oh, just wow. in this book. Okay. Yeah. That's crushing because, again, he's gross. Uh, I guess he's settled out of court, but, but he is a pedophile. Sex offender, so like, pedophile. Is, yeah. Yeah. And so the next page. So she's like, why did I end my marriage? It ends there. She said, I felt a barrage of abuse and self-punishment coming on. My inner voice screamed, you could never even get an Ashton Kutcher, even if you knew, know the secret code. It's like, what? Okay, whatever. 
the next sentence under chapter 10 is, life is full of experiences, positive and negative, and learning comes from all of them. I was like, this is- Whiplash. Like, what are we doing here? (laughs) Not only, also like, this is the worst inspirational quote I've ever read. Like, I- Life is full of experiences, positive and negative, and learning comes from all and of them. And is that like, from thanks, her? Sarah. It's in italics, but it's not accredited to anyone, at least in my ebook. <laughs> yeah, it was like, what? And then, of course, she starts working with Dr. Phil McGraw, uh-huh. who tells her she is emotionally bankrupt. That cracked me um, up. <laughs> yeah, what did you guys think of the Dr. Phil chapters? Which is, by the way, if you're playing Celebrity Book Club Drinking Bingo, bad therapist, take a swig. Oh, man. I actually was glad when Dr. Phil showed up because I'm like, maybe he will get her to actually be a little raw and honest with us. And maybe that will add some fun to this book. Wow, dark place when you're excited right. for Dr. Phil McGraw. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm spice, like, come on, finally. Dr. Phil, do your magic, make her cry, let us watch. Yeah, um, yeah. so you thought he would get something from her. That's what I thought, because, I mean, that's what his specialty is, right? He, he totally negs everybody. He's like, I'm going to break right. you down and tell you what a loser you are, and then you're going to cry. Yeah. But we don't really get that. He just says no. a few Dr. Phil-isms, a few tough love things, and then we get to hear about how great Robin, his wife, is. How yeah. pretty oh she is. God. Which, oh, my God. Ugh. How kind yeah, she like, is. Yeah. You're like, cool. cool. I, I mean, then she literally says, Dr. Phil taught me how to see. And you're like, that's tough. Then in the nuggets of the Dr. Phil chapter, mm. she says, become aware of your mind chatter. Sit at the end of the bed and talk to your imaginary friend. Rent the movie Harvey. <laughs> what? <laughs> now... Here's my little. Uh, so I was I was in the play Harvey. You guys, no big deal. It was Myrtle May, obviously. If you didn't get that, you don't know me. Myrtle May is like the side co- the side quack. Yeah, um, the, the kook, kooky, the kook. Yeah, obviously. And then the other lady, I think, is the wife. And so, you know, Harvey's about this guy who like sees an imaginary rabbit. They made it into an old movie. What on earth? Like rent the movie Harvey? Like what are you? It made no sense to me. I'm like, okay, so I love Jimmy Stewart, and he's talking to an invisible rabbit. And what does that have to do with any of this? What? It is sad. And like, you would really have to pull. uh, There are beautiful metaphors in there, but like, it's definitely not going to help you with your own negative self hate. Yeah. (laughs) Which I think is what she's saying it does. Right. I think I was too distracted also by the nugget that comes after the Rent the Movie Harvey one, which is just see the obstacles in your life as chairs. You can move them around or out of the way at will. I'm like, some of those chairs are not easily movable. (laughs) And how many chairs are there? (laughs) Some of those chairs are the monarchy. Yeah. Yeah. And like, or if they're in your way, climb over them. How do you climb over an obstacle? Like, this is just unrealistic advice. It's just bullshit. Yeah. So then, then, you know, the next page is like from Beatrice to mommy. Hi, mommy. I'm going to sleep right now. I wanted to say, I love you so much. And I think of you every moment of every day. I carry you in my heart and everything I do. I am so proud of you. Your amazing journey you are taking. And thank you for every moment that you are the role model you are for being true to yourself. I love you so, so much, Beatrice. Why are you Why are you exploiting your daughter's like right. really nice email to you I, to like prove your goodness? I wrote two notes for this. I said, did Beatrice write this for real? And I also said, if she did, I wish Sarah was taking a note from the book of uh, Real Housewives, which is don't involve the children. 
Yes. Like they're, they're the one rule. They're always Don't. at a precarious time, no matter what developmental stage they're at. And like, how dare you freeze that moment for eternity in the pages of your book, you know? Yes. Yeah. Children as shields to your worth is like such a toxic trait that feels like very common, unfortunately, in parents who are right. like being like, oh, my child is fine. So I'm fine. And you're like, your child is not fine. You just don't know about it. Yeah. But also your child's job is not to give you meaning. Your child's job right. is not to validate yes. you. Your child's job is actually just to be a human and to be their own person. They should not yes. have to mother you or prove that you're a good person to the world. Yes. And, 100%. And, and, and that's just one of my big pet peeves is a lot of these celebrity memoirs do this. Like, oh, the children gave me a reason for living. They're proof of how good I am in the world. Right, they're right. the reason why, you know, they're, they're the best thing I've ever done. And it's like, you haven't done them. You didn't do yeah. these children. And Sarah Ferguson definitely does that in this book. Oh, big time. Yeah, absolutely. I also feel like, I'm trying to remember like what shows I've seen it on, but I feel like it's a lot where like something horrible will be happening or it's in these books where they're like, luckily my four-year-old, oh, I think it's even Huma, Huma Abedin's book. Like, luckily my three-year-old son was not affected by this and was very happy. And you're like, you, like t that kid in therapy later could very well be talking about that exact moment in his life when he was very much not fine. Like, it's so, it's so weird to like use them as band-aids right. to your mistakes. Um so then, <laughs> then chapter 12 is the two wolves. I wrote, not the wolves. <laughs> so <laughs> I, <laughs> again, this is when I start having flashbacks. I know I have talked about this on the podcast before. We've done, we guys, we've done like 100 episodes, wow. 100 books. So it's a blur. I don't remember which one it is, but the two wolves has come up in two other memoirs. It is also what copy-pasted into my teenage journal from Oprah Magazine. <laughs> the two wolves, where oh I was gosh. really deeply moved by this. The two wolves goes like this. And she's like, I got it from Dr. Phil, who told me this Cherokee legend. Um, where basically, there are two wolves, you know, uh, and they're fighting inside you. One wolf represents fear, anger, envy, sorrow, regret, blah, blah, blah. The other stands for joy, love, peace, hope, humbleness, kindness. The two wolves... Um, are fighting, which wolf is going to win? The one you feed. And you're like, <laughs> listen, wow, at wow, 16, wow. I was like, yes, yes, it's the wolf you feed. Uh, I, I am now reading this like, I'm like, oh, so this could take up two pages. I mean, she really, I said that in a paragraph, the wolf story is two pages in this book. Mm, yeah. um, and I'm devastated by it. Thoughts and feelings on the wolves? <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned the 16-year-old Chelsea DeVantas because I was thinking a lot of this book as I was reading it. I'm like, this reminds me of a 14, 15, 16-year-old who's discovering self-help for the first time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Who's reading columns in the back of, if not, oh, the Oprah magazine, then Marie Claire yes. or whatnot. Um, and for the first time, they're seeing things that are so obvious and presenting them as if they're profound to everybody around them who's irritated with them presenting right. them that way. Yes. Yes, yes. And then in the nuggets, she's like, you can choose the nasty wolf or that other wolf, the one that speaks to benevolent thoughts. It's totally up to you. You can choose the kind of day you want. You're like, you just told us that. Right. <laughs> and then you paraphrased it in a worse way. I just wrote Phil, Phil, Phil. Like, yes. Not Phil McGraw. Filler. Like F-I-L-L. -L, filler. Filler. Yeah. Yeah. I, it was so... Then she goes back to giving us her own personal advice where she's like, 
We have not yet talked about my body in this book. My body is a good womanly figure. I have a nice up top and enough down bottom to look shapely. I can hide a spare five or 10 pounds if I dress carefully and wear mostly black. You're like, Sarah, no, like, come on. Like if I hide myself as much as possible. By wearing a black garbage bag, (laughs) I can hide that extra five and you can't do your like blah. And then she, oh my gosh, she calls herself a big fat mess. Then Celebrity Book Club drinking game, she lists her exact weight. She said, I'd love to weigh 140 again, like Mm -hmm. I did during my Weight Watchers days. Um, Which, by the way, like, if you were the Weight Watchers spokesperson for 12 years, isn't that a sign that Weight Watchers isn't working? And this isn't, like, shade to her. It's, like, shade to those programs, you know, of, like, it's, like, you're meant to fail. Right. Oh, yeah. Jolent and I are very... Anti-diet We're very anti-diet. They want to yes. keep, you, keep you in a cycle. Yeah. 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 Our podcast, we talk about this all the time. It's like, mm, if the only way for this program to work is for you to, you know, meticulously starve yourself and be on this program all the time and right. count every this and track every that, and then is this actually a sustainable thing? If the minute yeah, you step away from it, then you are full of self-recrimination and mad at yourself for not weighing what is possibly not enough weight for you anyway. Yeah, yeah. It's like, unless you give them, I don't, however, $30 a month, you will never be thin. I also remember, you know, because I read Oprah's magazine, so like I took in all this stuff right. as well as a teenager. And then I remember the Weight Watchers commercial where Oprah was like, plot twist, we can eat bread. And I'm like, bread, you have taught me I love for bread. 10 years. <laughs> yeah, it's like, but you said we can. Yeah. What? You <laughs> said almonds, blueberries, and a few like slivers of Parmesan cheese. You said wagon full of fat and Kelvin oh. Klein jeans. Oh my God. Yeah, you said spoonful of peanut butter for dessert. <laughs> yes. What the fuck are you talking about? We could have had bread this what whole time. I love time. bread. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, so, uh, Yeah, and then, oh my God, she ends the chapter saying, I have to say that I love feeling healthy. Kate Moss, no. No. Kate Moss was so right when she said that nothing tastes as good as feeling thin. Which, by the way, that's attributed to Kate Moss. I I do not believe that's a Kate Moss original. It's not from her originally, because my mom had that refrigerator magnet before Kate Moss rose to superstardom. Which, by the way, Kate Moss... Known to be doing drugs. I would say during she's that known time. for like the heroin chic look. Yeah. Like this is not, not something we want to emulate. As good as heroin feels. I was saying, yeah. that's which is what, either that's what it is. yeah, it just looks like drugs and or like yeah, a severe eating disorder. Like it's not someone to emulate or like even jokingly toss a quote into your book about weight. Also, she yeah. was a teenager. Why would a woman in her fifties want to say that girl who should be in high school is what my body should look like? Yeah, totally. And also like, yeah, no, food tastes really good. But that was really tough for me. I was like, I can't believe you're giving this to us as sincerity. Yeah. Um, and then she and, goes on and is yeah. like, and have omega, omega threes. Like, and I'm like, why would I ever take like supplement advice from you when you hate yourself? <laughs> and yeah. like, don't seem to know your body or like care to understand how to like make it actually healthy. Right. And she doesn't like, she's just like, I should eat less, but she doesn't take us through anything else. Uh, Not to mention, I mean, you guys, how many omega-3s did this girl chug in the 2010s? (laughs) (laughs) Also, do we even trust that she's in charge of her own menu? She lives in a castle and has a whole staff taking care of her stuff. Although, according to her, she has no money. 
Yeah. That really yeah. confused me because she talked about having no money. And then later on, someone was let Andrew was like, let your staff go. And I'm like, wait, well, what? <laughs> like, rewind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she has no money, yeah. but she had a full staff. It, it was so, it was so confusing. And then the next gym I have uh, was on page 208 where Suze Orman is here. <laughs> Okay, and I was like, not Susie Orman, which again, you guys, did I read every Susie Orman book? Yes, I fucking did. I was like, help me with money. I even read the college debt one. Okay, so this is what she writes. I went on a mostly cash diet. It's known law of financial physics. It's known law of financial physics, which is like law, physics, but we're talking about finances. None of these three things go together. Plastic attracts debt. Okay, it's a joke. (laughs) So I stopped using all my credit cards except one for emergencies. And when I buy, I spend actual money. Also, I visualize my life without money worries when I'd be able to use my money for some interesting or more important things. Whether it's the result of the bad economy, losing a job, or being ill-prepared for a catastrophe, so many people are facing serious money problems. I know what it's like to be seriously in debt, and I want to give you hope. You can take control of your finances. When you do, I guarantee you'll reap more than monetary rewards. You'll relieve so much stress. You won't know what to do with that freed up space in your mind and heart. You might even enjoy your life more. Wow. I said, you've given zero advice. Right. You wrote a pony at the beginning of this book. <laughs> How dare you pass this on as some sort of solution to visualize yourself debt-free? Yeah, and I can't so remember bizarre. if it's this chapter or a different one where she literally says, if I can do it, anyone can. As a lot of celebrity authors do. And it's like, <laughs> really? If you, in your castle, with your ex-husband who paid off all of your debts for you can do it, I can do it too? Really? You yeah. with all of your staff who have like a private jet, if right. you can do it, I can too? Yeah, how, with how all your celebrity, with your book deal. Yes. Yes, uh, uh, yes exactly. And then, okay, so then the next page, Martha Beck. Oh. So what was your guys' relationship with Martha Beck before this book, if any? I, like you, I read every single issue of, oh, the Oprah magazine. I had a subscription. That's all I know about Martha Beck. I I never bought any of her books. I didn't fall sucker to any of her life coaching or enrichment, you know, retreats or anything like that. But my relationship to her was just reading her in the magazine. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, mine was basically same. Like, in passing, I feel like, you know, in acting school, I've heard her name come up, but, like, someone recommend one of her books. But, like, yeah, just I just sort of knew her as, like, a sort of frou-frou life coach. Yeah. So I, as I was starting this, I remembered her. I was like, oh, I remember Martha Beck. And I thought, oh, no, because I have watched the um, Tony... <laughs> Tony Robbins documentary. I've I've gone back through and Ooh. re-examined a lot of the self-help stuff I've taken in. And, and as you guys literally specialize in. And I just had this fear. I was like, it, this is all going to go back to white supremacy, which somehow all of these self-help cults do. Like, I'm like, yep. why do they all have to be based in that? Like every single one of them reveals themselves as like not believing in slavery at some point. So you're like, okay. So I get nervous. We make it through a lot of Martha Beck. I'm like, okay, that's not going to happen. <laughs> then... Martha prints, uh, an email is printed in this book. My experience that people who live this way outlast media storms and rise above them. Those who pander to anyone and everyone's code, desperate for approval and affirmation, end up selling themselves down the river, parentheses. That idiom is an old reference to slavery. By the way, you aren't anyone's slave. Don't behave like one. Who? I said, yeah. I'm sorry. Fuck. 
They, oh, they were, oh, slavery was seeking affirmation and people pleasing and selling themselves down the river. I was like, this is they where I said Oprah has a cabal. It. Chelsea, they were yeah. asking for it. Unbelievable. I shouldn't be surprised. But, yeah. but I am a little bit like, I'm like, Oprah, everybody, Susie, Martha Beck, Dr. Phil, everybody. Oh my God, Dr. Oz, Oz a little yeah. crook who half caused the pandemic outspread. Like, what? By the way, for anyone listening, they're probably like, what did Dr. Oz do? He just kind of told people that like um, COVID wasn't a big deal. And because he's a doctor, everyone was like, oh, COVID doesn't matter for like a month, right? Yeah. 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 He, he also was Donald Trump's doctor and helped right. on that campaign too. Let's not right. forget. Right. He's the one who changed his height and weight. <laughs> yes. Like, like, oh, he is the picture of fitness. He would be yeah. the strongest <laughs> president we ever had. I I mean, just wild. Then the book, she's telling us stories about some guy named Mark. She's telling us about a school um, that helps uh, children with AIDS that is like, she's just visiting. There's pictures. Then she's like, oh, this is, a, this is my favorite. Over the last three years, I've been developing a program called The Mother's Army. Internet-based, it would be a social network connecting mothers all over the world with resources, educational materials, support, and encouragement. Mothers would be empowered to make choices that are best for them and their children. A mother in Pakistan, for instance, could connect with a mother in France for help with parenting and child-rearing. I see the Mother's Army as a natural extension of the work I've done with children up to now. The Mother's Army would mark fulfillment of my mission. So I said, one, this is the website. Two, it's taken three years. Three, the goal is for mothers in Pakistan to connect with mothers in France on how to rear children. Did this make any sense to you guys? No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> to me, it sounded like a vague idea you pitch, like, when you're starting, like, a sort of shell corporation charity that, like, you employ yourself <laughs> and your family at. Yeah, like, this is a drug like, front. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I couldn't I couldn't believe it. And then we're back with Robin McGraw, again, not a doctor, who puts her on bioidentical progesterone, estrogen, progesterone, thyroid placement, and we go into like hormone replacement for a while. And then like the book just I was just like, how am I going, how am I gonna finish this book? Okay. Then there's just like, I just kind of was like random bullshit. It's just right. random, just anything. We're just, it's anything until she gets to. The royal wedding. Ah, Oof. yes. Yes, that, that got Wills fun again. and Kate, yes. What was your thoughts on this? So she reveals that she's incredibly jealous when Wills and Kate get married. She's looking back on her own wedding with regret, wishing she had a do-over. Um, she also reminds us that when she married Andrew, she did the traditional vows where she vowed to obey him. Um, mm -hmm. And... Uh, She's and she just, said to obey him was merely to hear my own soul. Whoa. So she was destined to obey Prince Andrew? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and she's just incredibly forlorn and upset over the whole thing. And, you know, why, why did Andrew and I not work out? Why did I break up with him? Why did I break up with him? Look at how happy Kate and Wills are. Why am I not with my prince? Yeah. Yeah. And, and then, but then she like takes us through their wedding. And I was like, yes, give me wedding. Tell me about the dress, the flower, whatever you want to tell me. And she just was kind of, that was kind of it. Mm -hmm. She was like, yeah. we got married. I did traditional vows. She moved on. Yeah. Um, And you still don't ever really know why they divorced. I mean, right? the whole book, 
well, on why did I divorce him? And and I am also like, yes, why? There seemed to be no reason. She said that, she says in the book, and she has repeated this story since then, that during their first five years of marriage, because he did not give up his Navy career, they only saw each other an average of 40 days per year. And that was not enough for her to feel like she had a spouse. Yeah, that's crushing. And that the royal family and military would not allow them to have marital housing together on the military base because it would make them too much of a security target. So other people who are married to military people would be able to live in marital housing, and they weren't allowed to. And Mm. um, Andrew could have quit that job, but he chose not to. He chose to stick with his career and only see his wife for 40 days a year instead. Yeah, which based on my one season of The Crown, this is common, yes, where you like, (laughs) The royal spouses don't see each other all the time. They're always traveling. They're shaking yeah. hands. They're, they're going to the colonies. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Huh. Well, yeah, I, I definitely ended up feeling very sad that she, even though Andrew was known in court as a horrible human being, I ended up feeling sad for her because she clearly right. like wanted to be together. I, what was craziest to me is that via Dr. Phil and a trip to the Dalai Lama, She's like, I got to skip this wedding, you guys. I can't do it. And she, you know, she has all the scandal around her. A part of me was like, were you asked not to come? Yeah. <laughs> and we're pretending it's a choice. I don't know. And then what I thought was so nuts is that she really proudly wrote this. I was doing well, I thought. I helped my daughters get ready for the wedding by telephone, even trimming the feathers on Eugenie's hat over the airwaves. I gave Andrew a picture of me to carry in his pocket that day, dot, 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 and he did. This is crazy, right? Your ex-husband carried a photo of you in his pocket to the royal wedding for what? To what end? What is this? Because supposedly they're still hot for each other. Again, they they live in Royal Lodge together. They, I don't know. There's been a lot of speculation about these two still. Right, I was like, are they like still sort of together? Like, are they still boning? Yes, thank you, Jolenta, for saying the words I should have said. That's so, like, weirdly, that's so weirdly, like, <laughs> sensual or, like, a weird passionate secret, like. Yes, yeah, but that, like, that is widely speculated, the Jolenta, the boning, yes. Mm. The boning, yes, yeah. speculated boning. I mean, I think we can, I, I guess I just, like, it, even if you are boning or still in love, like, you, you stare at that picture, you private, you personally bone to the photo. Like it it seemed to be important that she was at the Royal wedding, despite what we thought via a picture in Andrew's pocket. Right. That was what I thought was like, that's also kind of sad. Yeah. It was very weird to me. Then we're kind of at the end of the book. Were there any tidbits before we read this last page that you guys thought were super juicier that we missed? There is one thing I just wanted to point out when the big, you know, reveal happens that she got sucked in by this undercover sting operation with this tabloid journalist. Um, We did fail to mention that her way of coping was first to go on vacation in Portugal and then to go on vacation at another luxury getaway in Montecito, followed by another luxury getaway at Lisa Marie Presley's house in Hawaii, followed by followed by, followed by, including trips to Spain. And, you know, that's kind of glossed over one thing after another. And then she mentions, oh, 
And then the tabloid press said I was just going on vacation after vacation. Sometimes restorative, you know, me time doesn't look the same for everybody. And it's like, yeah, it doesn't look like that for any of us except for you. You're a princess. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I feel like that is she got the jump on toxic self-care where someone does something very toxic, but in the name of self-care. I did not clock all of those trips. And I think had the book been like, here's what happened. What a scandal. So you know what I did? I went to motherfucking Montecito. I found every (laughs) horse in the world. I rode it. I would be in for it. I just don't want her to turn around and then give us advice. Right. It's just so out of touch. Give us advice. In this thing about like, you know, funding a like Olympic level jumping horse. She's like, the (laughs) the takeaway is like, spend time with animals if you can. It's just, yeah. Or like there was another part that was way out of touch where it's like, everyone should work. You need to feel like productive and, and stimulating. And that's why my work came in the form of like a random idea for a kid's book. And I'm like, what? It's like, need tranquility? <laughs> buy a horse. Need a job? All, write a kid's book and like get it published. It's like, what? <laughs> like, this isn't yeah. advice. Yeah. Also, also, you need to prove to yourself you're capable of more than you think. You shouldn't just laze around. You should actually uh, truck to the North Pole with a whole team yeah. of people who take care of you while you truck to the North Pole. Also, like, everyone should work. It's like, no, everyone has to work. Yeah. Except for you, yeah, we yeah, have girl. to work. Not a choice. Also, you just reminded me, I would have been so sad if we missed this. You just reminded me, Jalenta, of my, one of my other favorite parts. So when she writes the children's book, the first one, she's inspired by riding around in her helicopter. Oh my gosh. And she writes a children's book about her helicopter. And she like names her helicopter like Buggy. And she's like, Buggy the helicopter. I'm like, you wrote a book about a helicopter that you own. Um, And she went on to write 55 books, you guys. This woman has written 55 books, children's books, diet diet books, and unfortunately this book. Um, And the helicopter is like a whole series of like rich, a rich children's book. (sighs) It's wild. I mean, truly incredible. I I, I admire her hustle, I guess. Right. Um, I, I admire she she finds ways to continually put herself out there and make money. She says she spends too much, but she never really fully explains how she stops spending so much and the huge amounts of money she's spending. Like she's behind forty thousand dollars on paying one of her staff members, I believe, early on in the book. That's right. Like, but then she also says she's a people pleaser and like gives money away and tries to pay other people's debts, and that's why she's in debt. Right? Huh? Okay. Well. We're at the last page, you guys. She said, As for me, I am sitting in the sunlight looking out over my bluebell wood. I do not know when I will arrive at the next station in life or what it will bring, but in waiting for it, I feel more excitement than I do apprehension. I have purpose. I have joy. I have peace. I have love. And I can see a smile in a cup of tea. Nuggets. Don't believe that everybody has the right answer. Check with yourself first. I want to tell you that no matter how insurmountable your problems may seem, you can change yourself for the better. If I can do it, so can you. There it is. Ah. I'm living my I'm living my best life as I see fit, despite what others think or what the press say about me. Today, I'm living my life according to my truth. That's it. That's the end. Ooh. So, you guys, that brings us to the book deal test. Three questions. <laughs> the first one. Was the author vulnerable in the sharing of their truth? Absolutely not. No, not yeah. in the slightest. A thousand percent. I bonded more with the pony in chapter <laughs> Oh, my gosh, yeah. I bonded more with, like, the helicopter. Yeah. I felt for her daughters. 
But yeah, yeah, yeah. I really did. And I do want to say, I came in this, like, I love a sloppy gal. Like, right. this, she would have been my mm-hmm. best friend if she had given me an inch. Like, I really feel like she had to work hard for me to feel this way, which is a bummer. Um, again, sloppy gal, a compliment in my book, a descriptor of myself. Okay, <laughs> question number two. Was this book entertaining to read? I, I'm sorry. I, I wanted it to be. It I kind of think wasn't. no, right? It just wasn't. No. I, you could I, tell she was like just trying to fill space with the, all the letters yes, and emails. It, absolutely. It, yeah. yeah, I totally agree with you, Jolanta. That was so frustrating to me. I'm like, stop filling this in with emails and bad pictures. Give us good pictures and be vulnerable. Tell us something, please. Tell us anything. I, yeah, there were I, several of my notes in this book are like, how am I going to make it? I'm not going to make yeah. it. I can't yeah, keep yeah. going. I must turn back. <laughs> There's still have more. Have we booked the episode? Yes. Unfortunately, it's booked. Okay, they have read the book. We have to keep going. <laughs> no, it, this was so, <clears throat> so painful to get through. Okay, final question. This one, uh, the, you never know with this one. Did reading this book elevate your life in any way? No. No. I really wanted it to. I wanted it to give me more insights into her, into the royal family. I really, really wanted that sloppy Sarah that we all love. Um, But we just didn't get that, and thus it didn't elevate me in any way. And as all of us have mentioned already in this taping, any so-called wisdom she shares with us is something that a 14-year-old already read in the back of Seventeen magazine anyway. Yeah. Yep. Jolene, do you feel the same? Yeah, it's just nothing. I am I am unchanged after reading this book, I feel like. Although now I do see it as a pattern, uh, if you're a royal, to now flee to Montecito. I didn't know that was that had been done before. That's like, <laughs> yeah. so I guess I like learned a smidge. I don't know if I'm like elevated or like a better person in any way. I'm going to say um, this book made my life worse. <laughs> I... <laughs> There were some things from my childhood with Oprah that, like, I think at the time, like, really moved me and did a lot. And, like, I I scrapbooked a lot within my journal. So it's like I have tons Mm. of Oprah quotes in my journals where I've, like, learned a lot. And, like, this book has made me question um, some things that have made my foundation. Like, this book is, like, undoing some of the beauty I used to get from the cabal. Oh, no. (laughs) You wish you could have Um, just lived your best life in ignorance. Yeah, truly. I never needed to know that about Martha Beck. Okay, you guys, please tell us all about your podcast, where people can find you, follow you, listen, all of that. You can find our show, How to Be Fine, wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, We used to host a show called By the Book. That is in our How to Be Fine feed. If you just scroll back, you can listen to that. Um, In our current show, How to Be Fine, we look at current self-help trends and do a deep dive on one. And then we also take a few advice questions uh, often related to the worlds of wellness and self-help and betterment. You guys give out some nuggets. Is that what we you're saying? Nuggets and all caps? Nuggets, but our nuggets are to like hopefully help you break even. And they're nuggets usually based off of like having read a bunch of self-help books for our past show by the book and learning a lot of, you know, the wisdom we try to force on ourselves doesn't always work. So trying to yeah. just, just those are the erase a little bit of those nuggets. Uh, erase a little bit of your old nuggets. <laughs> That's right. <Yeah. laughs> I love that. Also, if you want to know a little bit more about my Royals coverage, right. I have a podcast called 
Daily Fail. It is a weekly podcast about the world's worst daily paper, which I'm guessing most people know what that is. And we always have some Royals coverage there. So that's called Daily Fail. Oh, I love that. Thank you guys so much for coming on this this book, a bust, but you guys, <laughs> a win. Thank you for <laughs> Thank having you so us. Much. This was so fun. That is all for this week's episode. If you love the podcast, become a member of our Patreon. You can do that by going to patreon.com slash Chelsea or just click the link in the show notes. When you become a member of the Patreon, you get one extra episode a month. So we do bonus episodes for the patrons um, and all your money goes to, you know, keeping the podcast alive. And it's just $5 a month. We also have a pay what you can option because I'm sneaky like that. And if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's at Chelsea Devantes, also linked in our show notes. That's where I recap the books before we do them on this podcast. So there's tons of ways to connect and you can find me in all those places. I want to give a huge shout out to our producer, Kate Downey, and our episode engineer, DJ Bouncy House. And I will see you next week for another juicy memoir. Come on,